Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. I'm going to be in Luke today, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, I'll get around to it. I want to talk to you today about being distracted. It's going to be a one-off. Uh, I don't do one-offs a whole lot, but when I do one-off sermons, and, and what I mean by that is not in a series of three or four or five sermons, it's because I think that there's something very specific and very pointed that needs to be addressed. And, and I think that's the case today. I am saddened, disgusted, frustrated with the condition of the body of Christ in a lot of instances. Not all of them, not everybody, not every church. But when any part of the Big C Church is determined to chase its own comfort over the fundamentally true, objectively true, unchangeable, authoritative word of God to suit their own preferences, we have a problem even in the big C church, even in this church, because it sees it, it causes the world to see all of us the same. Amen. When I was a police officer, I had a uniform on. And my physical characteristics were different. I may have been taller, shorter, skinnier, fatter than another officer. But let me tell you, when I pulled somebody over, they didn't see Jim Cubitt. They didn't see John Reddit. They didn't see Lane Mullen, some other people that I was in law enforcement with. You know what they saw? They saw the uniform. They knew I worked for Wilson County Sheriff's Office. And so when any portion of the department that is Christianity acts outside of the authority that we've been given to suit our own needs, people don't declare that that church is not good. They declare that the church is not good. And that shines a horrible light on all of us. And so I can't affect to any large degree what happens in any other church. But I will promise you we will declare here the objectively unbiased truth of God's word and stand firmly on it regardless of what it costs us. Yeah. Everybody all right with that? Yeah. The problem is when so many don't, it's because they've been distracted by worldly things. They want their money to grow. They want their church to grow. They want their influence or their platform to grow. I'll be honest with you. I could care less about any of those things. It's not my job to grow this church. This is going to stand. It's going to mess some of y'all up. Because everybody will tell you, we need to grow the church. You know what you need to do? You need to be faithful to the church. In being faithful to the church, God grows the church. Church growth is God's supernatural responsibility to our faithfulness. Does everybody understand that? Money grows as population grows. Population grows as God, as God moves on the heart of the people by the 
transforming of lives through the declaration of the word, that happens when we are faithful to declare the word and then live that word in an area where people may not know what that normally looks like. You know what that takes? A lot of focus. A distracted church is an ineffective church because they've lost their focus. They've lost their main thing. And we know what our main thing is here, right? Launch Point Church's main thing is to make, mark, multiply, or mature and multiply disciples for Christ Jesus. That's why we're here. That's the Great Commission. That is the commission of every church that calls themselves a Christian church is to make disciples, to mark disciples by water baptism, to multiply, to, correction, to mature disciples by teaching, and then multiply them until Jesus comes back. And an uncompromising church is the only church that can do it. A distracted church can't do it. An unfocused church can't do it. People say, man, Pastor Jim, I've, I've had people tell me this both inside and outside the church. They'll listen to somebody preaching, and they say, man, you're a hard preacher. I'm not a hard preacher. We just live in hard times, and so we need the declarative truth, the uncompromising truth. Now, I know that doesn't grow the church fast, but that's okay because I'm not trying to grow the church fast. I'm trying to be faithful. And I'm asking that you be faithful too. Amen? Because when we're faithful, we're not distracted. But distraction is what I want to talk to you about today. We are too busy with too many distractions and too many things that destroy our focus. Anytime our life slows down to where we have time, to where we should be able to focus on God and should focus on God... Another distraction comes along. Y'all know what I mean, right? Just always something. And it's worse when you got ADHD like I got. I'm bouncing from wall to wall to wall, but I, I get 20 things done all at the same time at about 10% because I can't finish something without starting something else. That's the distraction that I live with, but I have to pull that in. I have to make time to read my Bible. I have to make time to go to church. I have to make time to multiply myself and make disciples. I have to make time to do the things that God has called me to do, which means that I have to shut out all the distractions that are in my life. And can I tell you, this world's full of them. When's the last time y'all turned on your television? I was watching a TV show yesterday, and the guy said, I don't have a television in my house because I'd end up watching it all the time. I don't have a radio in my house because I'd end up listening to it all the time. You turn on the TV, what's the first thing you see? You see, first off, you see shows of some kind of filth or trash that's intended to cloud your mind and distract you from holiness. And when you're distracted from holiness, you'll no longer be reverent. When you're no longer reverent, you'll lose sight of God, and it'll be a matter of time before you drift away. Oh, it's just good fun. It's just entertainment. It's entertainment until you're on the opposite side of eternity wondering how you got there. Everybody all right? 
but it's not just entertainment. When we turn on the news, when we turn on the TV, we watch the news and we see the horrible things that are happening to us. And instead of focusing on the good things of God, we focus on the bad things around us. Let me tell you, the only way to defeat the bad things around us is to focus on the good things of God. I don't care what's coming against me. I don't care who's opposed to what I believe. I don't care about any of these things because God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me, which as you know is a rhetorical question, the answer to that is no one. So we better stand firm in our conviction and not be distracted. We turn on the TV, we watch the news, we listen about the government. The same government that's allowing perversity of every kind into our classrooms. Yep. Want to teach your kids about sexuality and not mathematics. Don't want to grade your kids based on their grades and their ability to learn, but their ability to accept new cultural ideologies. And if we don't stay focused, if we allow ourselves to be distracted by those things, it's exactly what's going to happen to our children. The church has, I hate to call it a call to arms, but it is. It's time for the church to regain its focus and stand firm Amen. because the world is out to destroy that which God has called holy. Amen. And it's time that we start paying attention. We, we get distracted by all of these things. Oh, man, I could go on and on and on. We get distracted by our sports. I saw something yesterday that said, what's the one, question, what's the one statement you can make that would be sure to start a fight? And here it is. God is more important than your kid's sports team. The question is, do you believe that's right or wrong? That's right. I believe that's right. But you're still taking your kids to sports on Sunday when they should be in the house of God, hearing the word of God and fellowshipping with other believers. You're still taking them to sports on Wednesday when they should be in the house of God, spending time with other believers and fellowshipping, learning what service is and all the things that God has called us to be. But we are distracted by the things that make us happy. The problem is we've allowed other things other than God to make us happy. And we have created in these things, these distractions, idols. That's right, I said it. If I spend more time on the internet, if I spend more time on my phone, or better yet, on my phone, on my Facebook, or my Instagram, or my, well, that's the only two I got, but there's TikTok and ZipDoc and who knows what else on there. Reels. Y'all know what a Reels video is? I don't want to see your hands because I don't want you to embarrass yourself, but you watch one Reel video, one hour later, you're still watching Reel videos. Three hours later, you're watching Reel videos. That's R-E-E-L. And then you want to look at me and tell me that you don't have time to read your Bible. You have plenty of time to do whatever it is you set your heart to do. God has put enough hours in the day. If you prioritize 
your life and not be distracted by the things of the world. You'll have time to do everything the Word of God tells you to do because God has never asked us to do anything that wasn't absolutely possible through Him and the Spirit of God. But we got to take this. We got to put it away, man. Pick up our Bible. Because if we're giving it more time, more money, more interest, then it's an idol in our life. And this is what the Bible says about idols. You shall have no other gods before me. Y'all, my phone's not a God. If you're spending more time on it, if you're spending more money on it, if you're spending more energy on it, then you have placed it as the superior thing in your life. It's bigger than God in your life. It's an idol in your life. It doesn't have to be carved up looking like a statue that you bow down to. But most of us bow down to our phones. Amen? And we can do better. Church, we have to do better. We have to lose the distracted mindset that we have and focus back on the things of God. Because it's when we lose our focus, we lose our purpose. And our purpose is to glorify God, raise up the name of Jesus, and make disciples. Ooh. Fact of the matter is, Pastor Gary and I were talking about this in the parking lot a little while ago. The enemy doesn't care what we worship. As long as we don't worship God. He doesn't have to cause you to sin. He just has to cause you to be busy. Too busy to worship. Too busy to love God. Too busy to read your Bible. Too busy to walk in Christ's likeness. I'm too busy for that. Don't you know who I am? Yes, I know who you are. And I'll tell you, because I know who you are, you need to regain your focus. Amen? Some of y'all feeling personally indicted. That's good. I was personally indicted when I wrote it. I want to talk to you today about being distracted for one main reason. Because I'm convinced that a distracted Christian is a non-missional Christian. A Christian that doesn't live on mission. And they don't live on mission because they've lost their, their purpose. Luke chapter 4, if you'll read with me chapter 1, or verse 1. Many of you are familiar with this text, the temptation of Jesus in the desert. Can I tell you, a temptation is a distraction. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during these days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. I don't know why that's always seemed like the, the largest understatement in your whole Bible. He didn't eat for 40 days, didn't drink for 40 days, wandered around in the desert, and he was hungry. They didn't even put an exclamation point in it. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. 
Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, the high point of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Let's talk about that. The enemy tries to distract us. In verses 1 through 3, we see Jesus in the desert for 40 days. He becomes hungry. I think that's there for a reason. Not just to let us know informationally that Jesus was in the desert for 40 days, but if you'll read the next sentence, it says, and then the devil tempted him. Now, that's not to say within 40 days he wasn't being tempted the whole time. He was being tempted the whole time. Every way imaginable, that every way that is common to man, he was tempted. But why does it specifically say at the end he tempted him? Because I believe when we are at our tiredest, when we are our most hungry, when we are our most downtrodden, when our spirit is just junked up and messed up and we're just ready for some relief I believe that's when the enemy comes at us the hardest and we see the humanity of God in this instance for 40 days nothing to eat in the desert I've been in that desert I've been in that wilderness environment it's rough there's nothing growing there and at the end of that he gets tempted. It seems, it almost seems as though the enemy is good at what he does. I don't think we give him enough credit. We should talk about the magnificent strength and beauty of God. But did you also know that the enemy has had millennia to train to destroy your life? And he's good at it. We flippantly say, I'm the child of a king. You are the child of a king, but you're not acting like the child of a king. And if you're not acting like the child of a, of a king, staying in the presence of the king, are you... Do you truly suspect you're going to be protected by the king? The enemy's good at what he does. He's going to get a hold of you and he's going to drag you out of the camp if you're not careful. We need to be careful because the enemy's good at what he does. This is what the Bible says. It says, be sober, be of sober spirit. 1 Peter 5 8. Do you know what that means? That means that doesn't mean. Make sure you're not drunk in your spirit. It says be sober. It means calm, not impassioned by lusts. You need to be sober in your spirit, on the alert, which means you should pay attention because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion 
seeking whom to devour. Listen, if we allow ourselves to be anything other than calm, if we allow ourselves to be impassioned by our lust, if we're not paying attention to what the enemy is doing in and around us, it's a matter of time before he isolates us like a lion isolates a single antelope from a herd and destroys us. Pastor Jim, what are you talking about? I'm talking about you've got to be careful. And you can't be careful and be distracted at the same time. Most of y'all can't hold a conversation and be distracted at the same time. Me included. How is it we suspect holiness is just going to happen if we don't pursue holiness? How is reverence going to happen if we don't pursue reverence? If we don't make sure that we're not being destroyed by our passions, how can we ensure that we are holy as God is holy? When your attention is divided, your loyalties are divided. Amen? And it's a matter of time before the enemy pulls you out of the herd, the fellowship of believers, and you find yourself isolated and destroyed. Yep. Whew. Pay attention. Because the Bible says the enemy has a purpose for your life. Yep. Did you know that? You know what it is? To steal from you, to kill from you, and to destroy you. I need y'all to sit on that for a minute. He ain't sneaking in your house and stealing your jewelry. He's stealing your joy. He's stealing your happiness. He's stealing your confidence. He's killing you. He's killing your peace. He's killing you physically, ultimately, because there is a sin that ultimately leads to death. And he will destroy you if given the chance. You need to know the enemy that you're fighting. When I, when I used to train, I spent as much time training as I spent learning my enemy. There's an old saying that says, a man that knows himself but not his enemy will lose a thousand battles. A man who knows his enemy as well as himself will win 500 and lose 500. The one who knows his enemy better than himself will win every battle. You better know your enemy and what God is capable of doing to ensure that your enemy is destroyed. Everybody all right? Why don't you think I'm bothering with this? Why do you think I'm telling you this? Because I got nothing better to do today? I'm telling you this because I hope at some point in your life you take the declared word of God over you and leave here with it, that you meditate on it, that you filter your life through it, and you ask yourself, have I allowed myself to be distracted? And God, by the power and the strength of your Holy Spirit, Bring me back to you, singularly focused, that I might walk in holiness as you've called me to walk in holiness. Amen? Amen. I don't hope or desire or take any joy in declaring the enemy's ability, but he's treacherous. And you need to know he's treacherous. It tells us to be cautious of the wiles of the enemy. You know what the wiles are? The wiles are devious strategies. 
cause to manipulate or persuade us from our purpose. That's good. When I picture the enemy, this is how I picture the enemy. I picture the enemy like an old general who's fought a thousand battles. And he's looking over the map of the battlefield that is your life. And he sees the hills in your life, the valleys in your life, the terrain of your life. He knows where your strengths are. He knows where your weaknesses are. He knows where you're defendable and when you're not, and where you're not defendable. And he's creating a plan of attack for your life. My question is, is he spending more time planning an attack for your life than you are focusing on the life you should be focusing on? Because that's what we're called to do. Amen? The greatest thing the enemy can do to us and the thing that causes all of us to sin is that he can exaggerate the pleasure of our sin while minimizing the consequence of our sin. You, that's why you sin. That's why I sin. Because the pleasure of the sin seems more significant than the potential consequence of the sin. I would go far as to say most of us wouldn't sin at all if you had to bear the consequence of that sin immediately after sinning. Because most of us sin thinking, ain't nobody going to know we sinned in the first place. There's not going to be a consequence. To you, I'll tell you what my grandmama used to tell me. Ain't nothing done in the dark, son. Ain't going to be exposed in the light. And she was right to make me so mad when I was a kid. Like she knew all my business before I even got done with my business. You know? But my point is, would you sin at all? I hate to use an extreme example, but would you cheat on your wife knowing that she knew about that before you got home? Would you lie to your boss if he knew that you were lying to him even before you left his office? Would you take something that didn't belong to you even if the owner was still was in the room, saw you do it, and caught you in the middle of doing it, and you bore the consequence of that thievery right then? No, you wouldn't. You know why? Because the consequence would outweigh the pleasure. But sadly, our sin's pleasure often outweighs our consequence. And that's how the enemy distracts us. That's how the enemy tempts us. He said, just go ahead and take that thing. Just do that thing. Just walk with that person. Just talk with that person. Have, well, just what, there's children in a room. You know what I'm saying. Right? As a matter of fact, the promise of pleasure right now and the consequence of that pleasure later is how he tempted and distracted Jesus. This is what he says. He tempted Jesus by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which just so you know, is the only three ways we can be tempted. That is the lust of the flesh, physical indulgence, the lust of the eyes, authority and power, and the pride of life, which of course is, is pride, issues of pride, self-elevation. Self in verse 3, the enemy goes up to the devil, and the, de or the enemy goes up to Jesus, and the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. 
Man, he hit him with a bam, bam. Hit him hard the first time. Why? Because he hadn't eaten in 40 days. The enemy was tempting Jesus to provide for his own needs instead of Jesus depending on the provision of God to sustain him. We have to realize that no matter how rough our life gets, no matter what we're dealing with, the provision of God is enough. Do the flowers worry? Do the birds worry? None of them worry. You know why? Because God is provisional. You might be hungry right now. You might be in need right now. But God is provisional. He will take care of you. Or the lust of the eyes. Jesus was tempted with authority and power. Verse 6, And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall all be yours. Excuse me. The enemy was trying... It cracks me up, man. It shouldn't. He's trying to dissuade him, trying to distract him with authority and power that belonged to him anyway. And the same thing is true for you. Do you know the enemy can only offer you authority that God's already given you? The only thing he can do by offering you authority is to minimize the authority that you have. I can prove to you that Jesus already had the authority. Let me read this to you. Ephesians 20, 1, 20. Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, and only not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church. If you're going to be distracted, don't be distracted by something that already belongs to you. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and then finally the pride of life. He tempted Jesus with position. He tried to get at him with his pride. He said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot on a stone. The enemy was trying to get Jesus to be prideful. He was trying to get Jesus distracted. He was trying to get Jesus to sin. Do you know why he was trying to get Jesus to sin and get him distracted? I told you at the beginning, because when we're distracted, we lose our focus on our purpose. What was Jesus' purpose? Jesus' purpose was to come and atone for our sin. Jesus' purpose, purpose was to be the perfect sacrifice, the unblemished lamb, to become sin so that we wouldn't have sin so that we might walk in the righteousness of God. Had he sinned even one time, he would have been disqualified from atoning for us because he wouldn't have been a perfect 
sacrifice. You can't exchange sin for sin. But because Jesus didn't allow himself to be distracted, he was able to fulfill his purpose, which is to save humanity, save mankind, make it more specific to save you. Amen? It's time that the church draws itself back in to its focus and pays attention because there's consequence when we don't. Let me tell you some stories here real quick out of the Old Testament, one out of the New, because sometimes distractions are effective in destroying us. Lust of the flesh. Samson and his lust for Delilah allowed himself to be deceived, his strength removed, and his purpose destroyed. Esau, in his lust for food, lost his inheritance, his birthright, and the blessings of his future. Lust of the eyes. Miriam and Aaron, that is the authority and power, spoke against God and Moses, desired the authority Moses had And Miriam was vexed with leprosy because of it. Achan took the riches out of Jericho after God specifically told him, don't take anything from this city. This city belongs to me. Buried it in his tent. And in his lust, in his distraction for stuff, They found it. He was stripped of it. They gathered his family, all his belongings, killed everything that he had, and killed him too. He lost everything because he allowed himself to be distracted. Pride of life, King Saul disobeyed God and Saul and refused to repent of it, showing himself, showing himself prideful. And God removed his hand. From Saul. In the New Testament, the story that gets me is Ananias and Sapphira. Y'all need to pay attention to this, and I'm going to tell you why in just a second. Story goes Ananias and Sapphira were, well, everybody in the church, in the early church, was, some, was selling stuff, donating money to the church for the sake of the ministry. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be in on that cool crowd, so they went and sold their property. And then they offered it to Peter, and Peter says, is this the whole of what you got for your property? And they said yes, when in fact it was only half of what they got for their property. But they wanted to look big. They had pride in their heart. They didn't want to be humble. In fact, if they'd have said, no, it's just 10% of what we got for our property, that would have been fine. There would have been no penalty for that. But in their pride, they lied. And the Spirit of God struck them dead because of the pride in their life. There's a reason why I included this one. Because that is in the dispensation of grace. A lot of people say, God doesn't deal with us like that anymore. He's a God of grace now. Jesus had already died. Jesus had already been buried. Jesus had already been ascended. And the Spirit of God struck down two people because they lied to Peter. Do you know why? 
because they failed to have reverence for the Spirit of God. In their pride, they didn't have reverence. I'm surprised. Like, I'm, like I am legitimately and genuinely surprised that more of us aren't dead. I mean, how do we talk in our spiritual hubris about how spiritual we are and the stuff that we've done and the things that we've accomplished? God hears all of those things. So we're lying not just to the person we're lying to, but to the Spirit of God. We deserve to be struck dead. Why doesn't God strike us dead? I don't know. I'm just grateful that He doesn't. Amen? But he's certainly capable to, or capable of doing it, even in this dispensation. I tell you that only to shake the stones out of your head. The church needs to get its reverence back. Whew. All of these people were destroyed by distractions. But you know what? Distractions are destroyed by the Word. I could tell you, I could throw down all this harshness on you. But let me help you. You got to regain your focus, dismiss those distractions by the objectively true Word of God. That's how Jesus did it. When tempted with the lust of the flesh, Jesus in verse 4 said, Men shall not live by bread alone. Correction. He said, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone. In verse 8, when tempted by the eyes of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, he said, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. When tempted with the pride of life, Jesus said, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The Word, the Word, the Word. What lies are the enemy using to tell, or is, is the enemy telling you right now? Destroy them with the Word of God. And I go back to the beginning of my argument when people say, well, I don't have time to read the Word of God. But you do. You've determined not to take time to read the Word of God. You know what's awesome? When I'm tempted, I have a promise from the Word of God that the Spirit will bring the Word back to my remembrance. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say it'll bring the word to you miraculously. It said it'll bring it to you from your remembrance, from your reading or from your hearing. You have to arm yourself with the word of God by hearing to build your faith and by reading for comprehension, study, and meditation. So that when the enemy comes against you, you can say, you know what, I'm not being distracted by that. This is what the Word of God says in regard to this situation. I've got cancer. The Bible says that Jesus took stripes on his back that I might be made whole. 
that I might be healed, that he took all my diseases and infirmities upon, upon himself at the cross. This is what I know. This is what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that he knows what I need before I open my mouth, and even as I speak, he delivers. These are promises of the Word of God, that he is a firm foundation and a jealous God, that he's not going to let anybody come against me. I need to know the Word of God so I can destroy the temptations, which are the distractions in my life. Amen? So that we might ultimately be able to fulfill our purpose. Guys, I'm here to tell you, the enemy knows there's no defense against the truth. He can, he can twist it. He can use it out of context. Matter of fact, that's what he did in the, the last temptation. He gave him, the, he gave him some, a temptation. Jesus answered it with the word. He gave him another temptation. Jesus answered it with the word. Devil's all, all right, so we're going to do like that. Well, I'm going to use the word, but out of context and see if I get you tripped up then. That's why you need to pay attention to what teachers you're listening to. Because they might be giving you the word, but if they're twisting the word out of context, you're going to get messed up by that. At the end of it all, though, the truth caused the enemy to leave and Jesus to be ministered to so that he could fulfill his purpose. And I'll say it again. His purpose was to set you free. His purpose was to shed his blood, to wash, chisel your sins away from you, to cause you to be holy. It doesn't matter who you were. It only matters that Jesus Christ maintained his focus so that you could become all that he's called you to be. Amen? Amen. And that has to start right now. Yeah. Oh, Pastor Jim, I failed miserably at that. Me too. Me too. But you know what I do? I repent. Some of us may have never repented at all. And some of us just realize, you know what, I've been distracted. And I've caused things to take precedence in my life over the things of God, and I need to stop. If that's you, I want to pray for you. If you're saying, I'm tired of this world lying to me, the enemy distracting me, the enemy destroying my focus, I want to stand up for God and say, this is who I belong to and not be wavered. The Holy Spirit can help you with that. Can I pray for you? Would you stand if that's you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Me too. I'm standing too because that's my prayer all the time. God, just give me the strength to stand. And I don't mean physically, I mean spiritually. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. And although we recognize that we have been distracted, some of us more so than others, some of us less, but God, there are portions of your truth that we've either not adhered to or disobeyed intentionally 
or may not even know exist. God, but give us a passion to chase after you, to pursue you, to know your word so that we might in our time of frustration, in our time of lack, do like Jesus. And that is rely on your word and your spirit to both minister to us and nurture us and to carry us into our future. Lord, my desire, our desire is to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. God, take away from us anything that would cause us to hear anything but those words. Instill in us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, a resolution to reverence your holy name, your holy word. I thank you, God, for who you are. I thank you for what you've accomplished for us and in us through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, focus us that we may glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.